Hello, folks, and welcome to The Farm, a podcast dedicated to culture, parapolitics, and high weirdness in all its many forms. This is your host, Recluse, a.k.a. Steven Snyder, the longtime curator of the Biza blog and author of a special relationship, Trump, Epstein, and the secret history of the Anglo-American establishment. If you like what you hear here today, be sure to check me out at visupview.blogspot.com. That's V-I-S-U-P-B-I-E-W, all one word, at blogspot.com. And procure a copy of that book and my other works at the Farm's official store, which is at thefarmpodcast.store. That is thefarmpodcast, all one word, dot store. And please consider signing up for the farm's Patreon. You get two additional full-length shows per month. That's between three and four hours of bonus material with exclusive guests and content. Okay, guys, I've got one of my favorite and most valued recurring guests today for the uh, this outing. He has been a writer for Project Censored, Daily Censored, and Truthout, among many others. He has received the Project Censored Most Censored News Stories for both 2009 and 2010, and he's also published more than seven books on education in the past 20 years, including Charter School, Movement, History, Policies, economics and effectiveness. He has decades of activism stretching back to the anti-war movement of the 1960s. He moved to Nicaragua during the 1980s to support the Sandinistas and fought against charter schools towards the end of the 20th century and beyond. Finally, he has been investigating parapolitics for nearly 50 years. Folks, I give you guys Dr. Danny Well, the legend. Danny, thank you so much for dropping by again today, sir. Well, thank you, and your intros are always so gratuitous. It's kind of, um, it makes me shy and a little bit red here, though nobody can see me. Uh, what I'd like to do, if I could, is, you know, uh, the premise of my show is that, is that this, this does mark the 100th anniversary of fascism as a political movement in the world. There was no fascism in 1921 or before. It's very distinct, and listeners can go back to uh, see their definitions of fascism and apply them to various countries we go through as uh, we discovered them in um, uh, episode one and episode two, I think we looked at definitions. But if we look at the playbook from the 20th century that we covered in show one, and I think pretty much onwards, uh, we looked at a lot of different uh, of things, if I remember correctly. So just to recover some of the things we know about fascism, and that it's at times ethnocentric, usually. It's the basis for the ethnocentric state. It usually involves a, the story, a mythic past. And the case in the United States right now is we see fascism emerging, which I contend it is, uh, if it is not already fascist in a different but yet technocratic sense. We do see within ethnocentric uh, fascism a mythic past, uh, we see this in a mythic Christianity uh, that is involved in the United States. The whole notion of U.S. exceptionalism is a mythic past. Um, if you talk to uh, uh, African-Americans, so they don't look at a mythic past in the same way. And so we can speak about the United States kind of form of fascism, this kind of colonial settler fascism. But in our characteristics, it's also very anti-intellectual fascism. It's a hatred for critical thought. And that's why you'll see as we go through Hungary and Brazil and other places, why they are attempting to attack critical thinking, why, they, why there's such an attempt to shut down the academia and the university, and why there's such an attempt to force uh, certain subject matters into homes 
uh, and left out of the public comments. Um, in all fascist countries, uh, there has been from Italy to uh, Hitler's Germany to Spain, uh, the state is the managerial desk. Uh, it's basically what is used to manage cartel capitalism, monopoly capitalism, huge capitalism. So in Hitler and Hitler's time, it was the Krupps and the Tucsons and the steel industries and the Stanford oil and all this came into play, huge cartels. So the cartels work with the state and that's corporatism, which is defined as by Mussolini. Anti-Semitism was, and racism or ethnocentricity is the, what defines ethnocentrism. Uh, uh, it's an us versus them uh, in the United States. Uh, uh, we have seen in the 1930s, for example, the German boom in the US, a very anti-Semitic and the alt-right is very, still very, very anti-Semitic, but much in fascism has been toned down in terms of anti-Semitic thought and for the number of reasons for that. Um, number one, to clean up the image, a softer of fascism, as they call it. And number two, because of fascism's connections to Islam. Um, Christian, Christian uh, fascism in the United States is very closely connected uh, through Nor uh, Grover Norquist and others. and has been for a long time with the fascism that it's, we see in uh, Islam states. And so, uh, but there is always an other, and it's usually, uh, you know, a race or some type of sunlight. Rule by, by violence, eugenics, permanent war is a feature of fascism, because there's always an enemy. So there always has to be a war. And war, of course, as Orwell's playbook said, was permanent peace. And so I can see how easily people were able, able to miss, to go right from a, a failure in Afghan for 20 years. Right. Trillions of dollars spent, <laughs> total failure, military equipment left behind. I mean, a worse calamity than Vietnam, all right? And within months, we're able to switch all that military hardware and all the money that needs to be spent again to Ukraine, okay? With the media playing, of course, the sock puppet press. How, how, how quickly that happened? And I hope that people are listening, but we'll really think long and hard about this. Is that how easy in today's media landscape an enemy is created and, and who really the enemy is. Because we're now in a, in, in a locked battle with, with Russia forever, it seems. Ukraine is nothing more than a proxy war. We have no interest in Ukrainians, and we'll get to that. And, and we did, we did do a show on Ukrainian, Stephen and uh, Russ Ballant, who is way, way more knowledgeable than myself. Um, we have no interest in what happens to Ukrainians. The interest is Russia, the balkanization of Russia, and then the attack on China uh, for the development of what is called the Intermarian, uh, which we hopefully can talk about further on in the show which is the mother island stretching from uh, China to the Pacific Ocean, uh, basically covering uh, almost the entire planet, uh, would be under the direct rule um, of a fascist state with the characteristics uh, that I've been uh, speaking about. Anti-gay, anti-LGBTQ, um, hatred of socialism is the driving force of all fascism, has always been. 
because the fear of all capitalists is socialist. Capitalists don't fear liberals. Capitalists don't fear uh, dictators. Capitalists fear socialism. And that's why they create fascism. And fascism hates socialism. First they come for the socialists, then they come for the Jews. You might know the old saying. Um, there's an interesting aspect to fascism that we over in show one and two is its love of mythological capitalism, but its hatred of corporations. So you'll hear many fascists talk or speak about their hatreds in the business community. For example, you'll hear in the United States today talk about the, uh, the media empire that's been built in Silicon Valley and the hatred of Eli Musk by the fascists and the hatred of uh, uh, Bezos and the hatred for uh, 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 the big monopolists uh, who, who run the, the huge health industries like Gates. Yes, they are very anti-corporate. Uh, but they are very, very pro-capitalist, all fascist. Hatreds of unions is hand in hand with uh, fascism uh, because uh, uh, when, when, when workers solidify into a union, they make demands on capital and capital doesn't want any demands made on it. And that's why you don't see Amazon as a, uh, you know, being a unionized a co a company at this point. Broke, the ice has been broken and hopefully it will become a unionized company because they don't want to share the capital. Bezos doesn't want to share his wealth. That's basically it. And hatred of the media. Now, uh, the characteristic of the hatred of the media that we share with fascism is the hatred of certain media. It's the corporate media that they don't agree with. So it's uh, not a hatred of media in general. It's a hatred of multicultural, um, we might say bourgeois liberal media that exists like in MSNBC or uh, CNN, uh, news outlets like that. It's gotten actually to the point where Fox is now deemed too liberal. Uh, Newsmax is uh, taking its center stage. So if we use this criteria and we look at these nations, we hope to look at you know, programs that we hope to do. Okay, we'll see that the issue is definitely economic, and uh, that we're at this point in the world, in my judgment. And I'll stop and see if Stephen, if you have any questions uh, or any, anything to add. Um, no. That we are in a capitalist world that's in a socio-political transition to a, a global monopoly capital. And I just make the one quote and then I'll give it to you, Stephen. Uh, Biden recently, and this is his, Biden recently told the Roundtable of U.S. Employer Association that to create the new world order that the Biden administration wants to create, there's going to be have to be 45 million to 60 million deaths in wars to decide who will lead the new world order. Now that's out of Biden's mouth. Let me just say that in March 12, 1947, the Truman Doctrine was launched, and it's the Truman Doctrine uh, that really that we're living through that uh, is bringing it brought us up to this uh, Cold War 2.0 that we're fighting today. Uh, what's going on uh, in, in the Ukraine? And I don't. Do, do you want to begin with Ukraine, or do you want to begin with Hungary? It's, it's, it's... Uh, well, you seem to indicate that you needed to do Hungary to explain the rest of it, so it might be best to start with that. Okay. Hungary has been democratically backsliding, I think, since 2002. Uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union in uh, 1992 um, created a very turbulent time in the Balkan states. 
many of them were unleashed. Uh, their resources were completely privatized and uh, bought up by oligarchs with the help of uh, what was left of the Soviet Union and Yeltsin and uh, Jeffrey Sachs and the Milton Friedman uh, economic model that was proposed um, uh, on the, what was the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union it was balkanized. It's the same thing that happened to Yugoslavia. A nation, Yugoslavia, made up of, of, of 150 ethnicities, is then balkanized into you know, all these small little tribal villages and Kosovo and this and that. And the same thing happened uh, 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 to the Balkans. One of the countries that emerged out of this very differently than Poland or Kazakhstan or Kazakhstan uh, or some of the Stans was Hungary. Uh, Hungary um, had always, uh, since 1956, when the Hungarians rose up against the Soviet Union, they had always been um, kind of against uh, Soviet-style communism. And within Hungary, there had always been a liberal strand uh, that was allowed to exist, though it was clamped down on after 1956, but still continued to exist. So um, if America ceases to become a democracy, which I believe is, it's not, is happening right now, it'll probably follow the path similar to the President Victor Orban's Hungary. Um, and some might be aware that Tucker Carlson has uh, recently uh, been in Hungary, and we're going to get into the purpose of his visit and the connections to Hungary that he has, why he was there. Um, Hungary's tango with the far right is not new. It began in 2006. Uh, David Duca was a resident of Hungary for a long time. So was Richard Spencer. He was, uh, Richard Spencer was kicked out, deported from Hungary in 2014, interestingly enough. Everything changed after the Maidan coup in Ukraine, which was the uh, CIA-sponsored uh, coup in Ukraine that overthrew the uh, democratically elected Russian uh, uh, president that backed Russia and uh, threw the, the, the country into the, uh, the state it is in today. So uh, similarly, Hungary is best understood the, uh, post 14 upwards. Um, Although it's had an intoxicating cocktail of anti-Semitism with the Hungary Arrow Cross Party that rose to power in 1944, Hungary was firmly in the Axis camp during the uh, Second World War. Uh, for example, Sebastian Gorka, who was a Trump appointee uh, and now uh, does basically a radio show, uh, is a fascist and a third generation Arrow Cross member. He wore his regalia to the uh, Trump inauguration onto the stage. Um, I'm sure he was encouraged to do so by, by Bannon. Uh, they're very good friends. Uh, he's a uh, Gorka himself, of course, is Hungarian. Um, now we see that Viktor Orban has been elected once again, two weeks ago, I believe it was, two weeks ago, a little longer. Um, Fascism didn't vanish uh, from, from Hungary, um, nor did the ghettoization deportation of its Jews. Um, uh, what's still going on, it was going on in Hungary right now is uh, 
very similar to when it went on Hungary in World War II, but with just different clothing. Um, let me see if I can uh, get up to the present time. And if some listeners are interested in Hungarian historical politics, they can uh, do a great deal of their own research on World War II Hungarian po politics. Um, but at the end of March uh, 2020, uh, the Hungarian government passed uh, the emergency law, and that gave Prime Minister Viktor Orban extensive dictatorial powers. Now, the similar thing happened in Hitler's Germany. He called it the Enabling Act, and it gave him in 1933 uh, similar powers as Orban has now in Hungary. Uh, and Orban enjoys these laws, which are fascist, even though Hungary is a member of the European Union. And the European Union is supposed to be a collection of liberal bourgeois-minded uh, socialist, social democratic uh, countries. And as we'll see, uh, the fact that uh, Hungary is the only one that's orbited out of their, unit, uh, their, their uh, 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 orbit so far is very troubling because Hungary is also a member of NATO. So uh, Orban's fascism and the fascism in, in, in that's going on in Ukraine have both have something to do with each other, both support each other. Uh, David Duke went to the MAUP University in Ukraine and got his doctorate in fascism, I would suppose, and graduated and taught there, went back and forth between Hungary and the Ukraine. There's always been a uh, relationship that allows people to do that. But Orban now has the right to suspend the application of certain laws by decree. And he can introduce any exceptional measures to guarantee what he considers the stability or life or health or personal material security of the citizens of his economy. So he can say things have just gotten so bad right now that um, we're just going to make sure that nobody can go out at night after 8 o'clock in the evening. Certain decrees like I'm living through right now. Uh, where I live here in Ecuador, there are certain decrees that have been mandated by, by the government uh, as a result of sim similar enabling acts. But in uh, uh, Hungary right now, parliament is effectively suspended. And parliament is their, of course, House of Representatives. Uh, so at a law place, there's no time limit on a state of emergency. And since Orban's just been reelected, he'll serve 20 years by the time he's finished with his next four. Um, is he's not going to be, um, uh, there won't be any time limit lifted on any state of emergency soon. The country will be in a consistent state of emergency. In fact, and they, the emergency law is supposed to enable, they say, the fight against the corona pandemic, which is why, of course, it was passed. Uh, corona being another excuse to pass more dictatorial uh, regime laws in various countries throughout the world, Hungary in this case being one of the most uh, inhumane. Um, uh, and the judicial system has changed as a result of all this. For example, the rights of defendants or convicted uh, persons are restricted. Um, civil and criminal proceedings can be postponed indefinitely by judges or prosecutors. So you could be arrested for drunken driving and put in jail and it can postpone your trial indefinitely and you can just re remain there. The same applies to court applications by people in custody. So if you're already in custody and you want to apply for better food or better this or that, sorry, no time. There's, there's uh, time limit has been drastically restricted. 
which means don't even bother is basically what's being said. It's not going to happen. Any action for compensation you may have against anybody can be just inadmissible or just dismissed without justification. So if you have a, a judgment against a corporation, for example, they just dismiss it. Just appeal to the Orban government and have the judgment dismissed. Uh, data privacy. Uh, now they have, it's been. Uh, there's now a minister for innovation and technology. Now the minister for innovation and technology is very closely in resemblance the new uh, minister for innovation and technology the United States set up, only with a different name. I forgot the woman's name and I forgot the name that they used to set it up, but it's the same thing. It's a right to access all, all personal information and data because of coronavirus or because of the Russians or because of the Ukrainians. Or, uh, same with European data protection regulations have been repealed. You can get anybody's data from European data protection in Hungary. And all government agencies have the obligation to provide information and collection and processing of personal data to any government official that requests it within a given a certain amount of days. The entire law is directed against the Hungarian working class, the enabling law. And it makes a Orban a dictator. So I'll stop there at, at this point. And uh, there's more, of course, way much more, but. I want to make sure if you have any questions or anything you wanted to insert. No, I'm good. Uh, just, you know, continue. Okay, well, uh, there have been some, uh, in 2019 or 2018, at the end of 2018, I was in uh, uh, Hungary. I had been there for the entire month. And during that month of Hungary, I saw the uh, buildup to what was called the slave labor strike. Uh, basically, Hungary's um, economy, uh, Hungary has no economy. They produce nothing except automobiles for Germany. Uh, all your Mercedes-Benzes and um, your BMWs produce in Hungary. Why? Slave labor, slave labor laws, and especially under fascist dictatorship because the government and corporatism, the government and the, um, uh, uh, the car companies work together. So I was there in 2018 when there was a strike against the passage of what were called the slave labor laws. And what it basically was is it, 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 the, the car companies went to the government and they, they basically said, um, we want the right to make workers work um, seven days a week if we want, 12 hours a day. If we want them to work 84 hours a week, we want to be able to have the right to do that. Sometimes we're overproduced for production or sometimes we're underproduction, and we want to have the right to do that. We don't negotiate with unions or we don't do collective bargaining here. This is Hungary. So we're asking you, Mr. Government, will you pass a law that will basically state that, you know, um, uh, that we will revise the labor code that will allow. Uh, the companies to uh, mandate workers work uh, extensive hours, uh, extended hours uh, with no extra pay. And and, um, uh, and he said, of course, so he passed it. Now there's some professional groups that can be obliged to work 24 hours a day, like journalists. So again, this is an attack on labor rights, typical capitalist attack on labor rights. 
And but at the same time, the EU, the European Union, is saying all this is bad. Subsidize it. Hey, they subsidize it because the EU pays Hungary, and we'll kick them out of Hungary, and they won't do anything to stop them. Hungary, they subsidize them. Why? Ukraine. Right? They need Hungary. Hungary borders Ukraine from the south. But the main thing is the big benefits for the large companies that are doing business in Hungary with the new labor laws. Uh, over 150 system critical companies, they call them, have been placed under military control under the auspices of fighting the pandemic. So 140 system critical companies, that could be transportation, communication, uh, anything have already been put under military control. And to enforce all of this, and given the even the resistance from the population, the army has been given police powers. So in the United States, we worry about the police powers being given to the army, and they, in Hungary, the army has been given police powers. They now have the power to arrest uh, up against the wall. You've been arrested, et cetera, et cetera. And there's draconian punishments. Um, same with false news. If Orban said thinks that you're spreading false news, um, you'll be you'll go to prison for five years. If you violate any quarantine regulations and he doesn't like you, you'll do eight years. But if you're a friend of his, well then no problem. So the criminal offenses are so vaguely formulated that any dissenting opinion or any oppositional activity can fall under them. So one Hungarian constitutional law expert, Gabal Hamai, just remarked, he said, quote, Victor Orban now rules as a dictator, unquote. With the emergency law, Orban's system has lost its formal democratic nature completely. And there's no lack. I mean, it's there, it's there in the system, and the EU pretends it's there, but it's gone. And, and, and even though the emergency law is used ostensibly to, to, to fight coronavirus, Okay. Um, the cases of coronavirus have nothing to do with anything. It's just a ruse. But the safety of the population is subordinated to the interests of the corporations, basically. And in this case, it's Hungary and the Western car companies. And so no unions, no right to strike, no freedom of assembly, no bill of rights, no constitution. Of approximately the 10 million inhabitants that live in Hungary, over 1 million live below the poverty line. So that's 10% of the population lives below the poverty line. And that's accelerating rapidly. I have good friends in Hungary. Their daughter's 26 years old. We'll talk about what Hungary's done to women in a few minutes, but um, they live in Hungary. They're very rich, but um, uh, the draconian laws are affecting every social strata. Uh, as Orban just collects more and more into the auspices of the state, state. It's, re it's really bad for the Roma. Um, there's 300,000 still live in ghettos there. And um, uh, the, the risk of virus going into the slums and the beatings of the Romas. Uh, uh, it's just, uh, there's, According to the Justice Commissioners, there's really no concrete grounds for these dem of taking away these democratic rights. And as they say, Brussels has done nothing about it. 
Um, the EU is still massively funding the Hungarian government, not a single center which goes to the expansion of any ailing public health facilities. Nothing benefits the workers. All goes to Orban. Hungary received 5.6 billion in emergency EU aid, which corresponds with about 3.8% of the country's gross domestic product. So the, the country's barely hanging on. It'll probably disappear one day within your lifetime. The nobody speaks the language but Hungarians. Um, uh, even there's a, a So the EU is like basically a fellow from, from an institute said, the EU is giving Viktor Orban almost 4% of its economic output while he rises to dictatorship. This severely damages the union, which wants to be a democratic community of values. But it doesn't want to be a democratic community of values. It too is a dictatorship, but it's of a different sort. It's a technocratic dictatorship, a much different sort than an ethno-nationalist dictatorship which Hungary is. Um, the EU really is, is supporting Hungary's path to dictatorship. It's just paving the road with gold. And, and they're doing the same thing for Finland to join NATO and, uh, you know, everybody come on board now. Let's just divide the world between us and Russia. And, well, let's take a look between, let's take a look at Hungary and the US. Look at the Texas Republicans. Fresh off their high implementing sweeping voter restriction laws and their, their terrible six week abortion bans and effectively overturning Roe v. Wade. And, you know, the Republicans are acting exactly like the Hungarians. The Republican lawmakers introducing bills that would allow the death penalty for women to have abortions. This kind of thing that's going on in Hungary. That's why I keep trying to mention these uh, things because they, they grow, grow out of each other. Why don't we mention the Tucker Carlson thing shortly uh, because it's probably of interest to viewers since he does get about 3 million viewers um, daily. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if he runs for president. Um, he's the most watched figure on cable news. Anyway, uh, they had a big MCC fest which is a, um, it's a festival that takes place in Hungary that's supported by the Hungarian government to the tune of $1.7 billion, um, which is about 1% of the country's GOP. It's the education system for Hungary, it's the MCC. And it's completely been taken over by the government and completely fascistized. There's no opposition. Uh, to any of it. Let's just take, take a look at what Orban's done. They've rewritten the, the Constitution 10 times since 2011. Okay, under the new Constitution, judiciary's taken the hardest hit. I've talked to you about a lot of the ways. He's packed all of Hungary's courts, sound familiar to the US. I want people to start thinking about the US as they hear this, because this is, this is, this is really, you know, expanded the number of judges on the bench and then they fill the new positions with their own political allies so you know it is what the liberals want to do they're thinking well let's expand the roosevelt you know of, of, of judicial of the supreme court and then we can just pack it with our liberal with our liberal allies 
Well, that's not how democracy works, you know, that's how Hungary works, okay? Our government restricted the jurisdiction of the court, so it can't review any law that has an impact on the budget or taxes or austerity. Okay. Only the executive can do that, only Orban. Um, no access to the courts. Uh, you won't be, uh, easily, be able, you're easily able to review laws in the abstract for their compliance with the constitution. Uh, basically, it's uh, uh, judges won't apply the law. Uh, individuals can't challenge constitutionality of laws anymore without going through a lengthy court process in ordinary courts. And uh, again, I can see improper taken away in the United States. Can't represent yourself anymore. If you do, you're going to fill up 500 forms and go through 20 judicial hearings to do it. The old constitutional court, which serves as a major check on the government, is dead, gone. The judiciary, similar fate, government lowered the retired age for judges from 77 to 62, for basically forcing the judges out. Any judge of the 62 or a day had to resign. So they had to resign. They did it purposely so they could refill their positions for their own people. More than 200 judges will be forced to resign starting January 2022. Well, that's less than six months ago. So, um, and the most of them are court presidents who assign cases and manage the working of the courts. They'll be, they'll be replaced with Orban Willis. The new law of the judiciary requires the Supreme Court president to have at least five years of Hungarian judicial experience. And that way they can pick what they want. Current president of the Supreme Court is disqualified because of his 17 years of experience as a judge on the European Court of Human Rights. Oh, I see. So you see, they had a, the president of the Supreme Court was, though he had 17 years of experience as the president of the European Court of Human Rights, that, that wasn't good. So. Orban passed a law that said, no, you got to have at least five years on our Hungarian court. And since he did it, he was forced out, replaced. He left in January. Law of the judiciary also uh, uh, creates um, uh, a new national judicial office with a single person at the helm. And this person has the power to replace retiring judges and to name future judges. So, you know, election of judges is not even an issue in Hungary. And why would it be in the United States? Well, you just pick them. Remember, you said, just remember before there was a Senate, elected Senate in the U.S., you just, you just picked them? Yeah. Well, this, this person also has the power to remove any sitting judge. So, Orban can call them up on the phone and say, get rid of me. You say, okay, he's good. New constitutional amendment permits the public prosecutor and the head of the National Judicial Office to choose the judges they like to hear the cases they like. Now that's true judicial independence here, isn't it? Um, so the independence of the judiciary is over when a government puts its own judges onto the bench, moves them around at will, and then selects which ones get particular cases to decide. Okay, that's what's happening in the U.S. today, and it has been for years. 
New election laws, specifically important for US citizens. Hungarian new election laws specify precise boundaries of the new electoral districts. Okay, we'll send the representatives to parliament. But the new districts are drawn in such a way that no other party on the horizon besides the ruling party, Fidesz, is likely to win elections. So this Hungarian think tank ran, ran the numbers from the last three elections. And using the new district boundaries based on the last three elections, Fidesz, the current party, would have won all three elections and two, including the two they actually lost. You found my reasoning, I'll try to say it a better way. Basically, they're redrawing districts all over the United States right now. Well, of course they are. And this is how Orban got into power, which we'll get into in a minute. But he's redrawing them all, too, for all the new municipalities and all the people that have to be in the government to make sure they're all party loyalists. Well, when he finds a law that doesn't work and can't get rid of somebody, he passes a law. They, and as I showed you with the judge that was there for 17 years, but because he wasn't there for five, he had to leave. Now, new districts are drawn in such a way that nobody can win but the ruling party. And this respected thing, Tank just, just did it. By the way, all the parties, and just two weeks ago, Orban, Orban won uh, for four more years. All six parties united against him, and he still won. The communists, the socialists, the fascists, the Christian Democrats, all of them lined up, all of them lined up, get rid of Orban, get rid of Orban, and he still won. Now, that's a statement. Now, it's kind of like a Trumpian kind of statement. You know? um, so anyway, um, you know, a lot of this was done back in 2011, 2010, when uh, Orban was in power back then. Um, uh, the attacks on education are just, uh, just absolutely in incredible. Um, the issue is, is to take education <clears throat> out of the hands of educators and, and, and create a conservative elite. So he starts a residential college, Orban does, and then he grants it $1.7 billion. It's, it's called the, uh, it's a flagship college. It's called the MCC. It's where Tucker Carlson just got back from. It's basically, he took uh, public funds and he just started his own college, okay? And then uh, there's, you know, articles about it, 10,000 students there. Price tag runs into millions of dollars. Is it a pro problem? It's a privately managed foundation that Orban runs, and he gave himself the money. Okay, he runs it. He runs the foundation. Um, he wants to overhaul education, reshape his country's society. He wants a more nationalistic, conservative body politic. So the critics said, "Well, look, the donations legalized theft. You took it out of the treasury." And you open up this $1.7 billion thing and then you just fund it and put all your people in it and then you just tighten your grip on power and Orban just said, fuck you, I'm the enabler. I'm the, like Bush said, I'm the, I'm the decider. See, in the United States, they say these things. In, the, in Europe, they do them. In Latin America, they do them. They're starting in to start doing them in the United States too because capitalism is just, inflation and all of it is just going to get worse. Um, yeah, so anyway, so, um, 
He's built a foundation uh, to solidify power with this new university, he kicked Soros University out. Uh, this was one of his other campaigns, huge billboards I saw in 2019 and 2018 when I was there with pictures of Soros and Hungarian language beside it, which I was told was um, basically anti-Semitic, uh, anti, you know, Soros with a big nose and the whole, you know, thing, you know, this is all back in play, even though the, the, the most, most Jews killed in World War II were killed in Hungary, okay? Um, Anti-Semitism is, is definitely back, okay, big time. Uh, you don't walk around saying you're Jewish. Um, uh, let's see, moved against private media outlets. These, um, yeah, Orban now owns 500 uh, media outlets under the ownership of one single foundation. So it's just saying, saying you, you create a foundation and then, and then under the umbrella of that foundation, you just get 500 media uh, organization. So let's say you create the, the national, the U.S. national media organization, and under there you put Newsmax and Fox and, you know, all these, you know, right-wing ones. And they all, they're just satellites of this one big thing, of this thing. Um, but um, they're all under, the foundation is under his control. So <clears throat> he's got 32 foundations that he sent up, uh, mostly conservative, that he controls. They're not think tanks, they're foundations. And he's given them, them 3.5 billion in public money. And um, he's using them to, or, to open up all kinds of schools, and, um, parks, cinemas, concert halls, boarding high schools and more. See what Orban, what Orban did, and I, it's a shame we can't really have uh, 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 more panelists and, and more time to go into this is Orban, uh, 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 and I'm not going to get into it deeply, but the, the, there was a, a thinker in Italy by the name of Antonio Gramsci, who was put in prison by, um, uh, Benini, uh, by, by Mussolini and, and who died in prison, but who smuggled out um, uh, the prison notebooks. Um, uh, the, those notebooks had a big effect. Um, uh, Gramsci was basically the head of the Communist Party in Italy. Those um, notebooks had a big effect on um, post-World War II um, Marxist intelligentsia. Why? Because uh, they argued that the reason that Hitler was able to come to power was not just due to um, political maneuvering, but due to cultural hegemony. Um, that he was able that that fascism crept into every every everything everywhere every every everything. That, the fascists really know how to put on a good party. Um, and they have summer camps for kids. And still, think of Germany or old slides you might have seen of youth running amok with, you know, yellow hair in the fields. This is all going on in Hungary right now. I mean, uh, the same type of thing. So um, this, he calls it illiberal democracy. And he's very proud of it. This way, he doesn't have to use the word fascism. He made up a whole new word, illiberal democracy. And um, why, why does he call it illiberal democracy? Well, liberal democracy, as we talked about in the first couple of shows people can hear, is, is a political formation that is attached to capitalism. Um, and basically, um, uh, at this point in juncture, transnational monopoly capitalism. Uh, Hungarian, um, illiberal democracy 
um, though it, of course, is attached to capitalism, as we'll see. And incidentally, Islam and China, <laughs> which is, you just, there's just no way out, as we'll see. Um, it, it, it's, it's ethnocentricity, it's, it's, it's form of ethnofascism is such that um, it, um, it, it calls upon, it does what, what Hitler did so what it calls upon motherhood and nationhood and nationalism. This is what happened in Ukraine with the OUN-B. That's why uh, we supported them. And they were nationalists at first against Russia. And then we supported them and then, then turned them into Nazis. And then the Nazis took them up. And then they've been Nazis ever since, you know. Um, but they basically, they know how to, they know how to put together academics and education and summer camps and and the religious right in the United States is very similar. They're doing very, very similar things right now, not just with Liberty University or, the, or with these privatized universities. They, they're doing it through, 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 through their offering of, 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 through like say Turning Point USA, I mean, the amounts of activities that these kids are being offered, obviously of a right-wing ilk, that they constantly will be occupied. They're never unoccupied. And they're constantly with the same people, with the same illiberal people, as Orban would call them. His government has banned gender studies, and he now can appoints the top administrator to the Hungarian Academy of Sciences. Uh, he, again, is against science, much like Trump is. He doesn't like science. So uh, uh, he's decided that he will decide what scientists uh, will be there and what scientists will say. Uh, as, as I mentioned, he forced the Central European University, funded by philanthropist George Soros, to relocate to Austria, which he did, kick Soros out of the country. Soros, by the way, is interesting. He, too, is a Hungarian who, when he was eight years old, uh, worked with the Nazis to Nazify land in Hungary. Um, <laughs> It's uh, the oxymorons, if it, we were using this language, it was just unbelievable. Anyway, the government moved to privatize the universities in April of, of 2021. And this MCC Foundation has got this 1.7 billion, all these cash injections, 462 million here, 9 million here, in Blake property here, a luxury estate property there. It's basically a front corporation, okay? Marina on Lake Balaton, Western Hungary, okay? But it, now its members are appointed for life and they can elect new members. Not a single woman is allowed to sit on any, with any of them. They are the ruling class of Hungary. And the leader of the MCC Mains board is a guy by the name of Balas Orban. He's no relation to Orban. He has a dual role as a state secretary to the prime minister's office, Orban's office. He has to mastermind all the property transfers from the foundations that have been set up by the MCC. And his chairman, his second duty is uh, uh, to oversee the privatized assets. Um, Almost all media has been owned, owned by Orban through the MCC and through um, various different foundations. For example, Zoltan Sazla is a, a board member of this glossy pro-government weekly called Mandineer. Uh, a cafe he owns recently got a $2 million donation of once public money used for an event space. Why? So they, he, he, it's a way of laundering money to him. So he'll, 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 
he'll, he'll uh, support the magazine. MCC is not a university in school, right? It's a residential college. So it only can give special seminars. And it has a dormitory for kids and, and it receives stipends. And Orban set it up and said, we want to design it to breed, breed right-wing intellectuals. And in an interview with the Times, the Orban that works for Orban said that the project was, crit was critical for a small country like Hungary um, because of its history of occupation of foreign powers. He said, it's very important that we have our own agenda, our own mindset, we have our own dependence, our own culture. We always have to fight for it. These poor Hungarians, they were members of that, of that, that, that uh, Austro, Austro Empire in the 1900s, and then they were thrown into the Soviet Union, and then they tried in 56 to get out, and then they, they got out in 92, and they were thrown in disarray, and now the poor people are living under fat. They don't know whether they're coming or they're going, and like 100 years of consistent shaking. Anyway, in the, in the, in, in, in the educational system, um, here's the quote from Orban. Ideology is not important. Patriotism is. So our recent articles and podcasts produced by MCC, they've discussed reading lists, and they're all anti-globalists. They're all ethno-nationalists. And in Poland, right, right behind him, they're, they're following him, they're copying him exactly because the United States, of course, is, is pushing Poland to do the exact same thing. They have think tank with close ties to his right-wing government, and they're working with his Collegium Intermarian, a university that hopes to foster a conservative Christian elite. Bulgarian, too, to be uh, working with him, their quest to retain power. Um, quote, there's a very strong fear that universities are totally lost for the conservative side. They're, they're totally dominated by left liberals. That's being what's being said in all these countries. And getting control of universities becoming a priority for these governments. Well, this is what we hear in the US. These, these bourgeois and take them over. Um, he, uh, Balaz Orban, who runs MCC, plans to use his wealth to expand high school and elementary school students into his uh, next three years of 10,000 students enrolled in 30 five European cities that will have large Hungarian populations, mostly in neighboring countries. They do operate outside of Hungary in neighboring countries. And MCC was established in 1996 with money from Fidesz, which is the party of Viktor Orban. Uh, Viktor Orban uh, uh, created Fidesz, okay. But then it was a, a established in 96 with money from Fidesz with the goal of training a post-communist elite now is being used to train fascists. So it's been conservative for a long, long time. Some students praise it. Some people, some students wonder why they're doing it there. Uh, it has no media attention anywhere in Europe, in the United, nobody in the United States ever heard of it. Probably, probably don't even know there was an election in Hungary. It takes a war. What, what is it, Mike Mark Twain said? It takes a war for people to understand where countries are organized on a map. I mean, um, but uh, there's no opposition now, four more years of Orban. So there's the whole system is, is, is Orban's now. Besides capturing the academic right, Hungary wants overhaul education and he wants education to become Christian. 
Okay. And he's transferring all public money, all to his, his buddies who run these foundations so they can become Christian foundations, so that they can begin to raise a Christian right. And um, uh, this is very open and very large, and is why Bolsonaro um, has been uh, to Hungary 19 times within the last 21 months. I, yes, 19 times. Uh, Eduardo, the son, Bolsonaro, has been to Hungary 19 times. Okay. Um, uh, basically, uh, Trump has handed, has told uh, um, uh, Bolsonaro, uh, and I don't have it in front of me, but basically told Bolsonaro that he holds the mantle of, 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 of fascism now until um, the elections in Brazil. Um, they're, they're hoping that, that, that Brazil will be the centerpiece for the international fascist movement in the, on that, on the, on the, in the hemisphere where Brazil is located. And then Hungary will play the intermarian in the um, uh, Europe uh, so that they can begin to organize the Balkan states to begin to um, uh, overthrow Russia as they did uh, Yugoslavia. So in order to do this, of course, he's got to have a stupid public. He has to have a public that has no education. He has to have a public that has no news. He has to have a public that asks, asks no questions, a public that, that puts up with everything that he does, a public, and that's exactly what we're seeing built into the United States. And so much of what we see in Hungary can be looked at as what could happen very easily in the United States. Um, that guy's cafe, very interesting how he got $2 million as a future payment. Um, talk about a deep state in Hungary is just uh, pretty much unbelievable. Let me just get into a one issue uh, from all, because it's so current. It's August 19th, 2021. It's by a fellow by the name of Abel Bodhi. And it's entitled, Those Who Lead and Ruin Western Countries Are the Ones Calling Us Far Right. And it's an interview with Abel Bodhi, who is with the Identitarian Movement, but he's with the Hungarian branch of the French youth movement of the Hungarian movement. I mean, the Identitarian Movement is a fascist movement all over Europe. And it has branches called pigeonholed away everywhere. I mean, I, I could, I have a list of them, but I would be too pedantic to read them off. People want to know them, they can put in identitarian movement lists and they'll probably do. They're most well known in France when they started in 2003, but they're in Hungary. So they're mostly youngsters and, and they've been growing up since, uh, you know, they're about 20, 25, 28 years old, and their concerns are LBG, LGBT, immigration, hegemony, and Islamization. Now you take the United States, you just replace immigration would be the same, LGBT would be just the same. Hegemony, by, by, by hegemony, they mean multiculturalism and all that kind of things. Well, that would be, be the same. Well, not Islam, we wouldn't have Islamization, but the Latino issue is sure certainly in there. And again, we're back to the playbook. We can see it. The identitarians are French, German, they're in Austria. Um, and, and you can see, see them wherever they are and read their interviews. They're very, very large in Hungary because education is so much of important for what Hungary is trying to do and what Poland is attempting to do and what the Balkans are attempting to do and what the United States specifically is attempting to do in the area of education, especially with Betsy DeVos, that's why she was picked. She's, she's an Orbanite, she's an Orbanite. 
The curriculum has got to have patriotic goals. People have to learn to be proud of their past. All historical defeats in wartime are to be erased. All legends and myths are presented as historical facts. Any controversial authoritarian uh, discussion of the rule of, of fascist uh, during from 1920 to 1944 is taken out of textbooks. Um, so all the textbooks are now in a foundation and they're all being rewritten. Uh, this is going on in the United States as well. Uh, here's, here's a woman from January that she says, a, a teacher, and, and she says, you can feel how dictator works, the historian and specialist in gender studies said in her first interview with international media since her resignation. Because this is not a state. This is not Prime Minister Orban who's giving orders. Those who make the system work are the kind of ordinary people who are running those institutions. The whole story looks as if it had happened in communist Hungary well before 1989. Okay? But she resigned and she made a very stunning remark. It's the ordinary people who make the system work, the Eichmanns, the ordinary people. And we've concentrated on the Orbans, but it's the people that go to work every day to make sure the teachers aren't reading from the book correctly. She may, she said she, she withdrew, she wouldn't withdraw her request of the takeover of education because it was against her values. So she was asked to resign and she said uh, she wouldn't resign, so wouldn't be happy for her. Um, Last point to make on this, and that's 1933 to 1945, when Milton Mayer wrote a book called They Thought They Were Free. And then and there was a stunning paragraph that relates to what this woman had to say in January of 2022 when she resigned. In the years of its rise, fascism, the movement little by little brought the community's attitude toward the teacher around from respect and envy to resentment trust and fear to suspicion. The development seems to have been inherent. It needed no planning and had none. As a Nazi emphasis on non-intellectual virtues like patriot, the emphasis on patriotism, loyalty, duty, purity, labor, simplicity, blood, focusness, seeped through Germany, elevating self-esteem of a little man. The academic profession was just pushed aside from the very center to the periphery of society. And Germany was preparing to cut his own head off. And by 1933, she said, he says, at least five, 10 of my friends, I think he says six or seven, looked upon intellectuals as unreliable and among those unreliables among the academics is the most insidiously situated. And so we see a, a very similar pattern that Orban is attempting to create this anti-intellectualism that we see that's so important. Uh, what he's done to women has been incredible since he came to power. Uh, he's marginalized women. They're paid uh, by the government to have big families for the nation, just like Hitler. If you, get, uh, if you have three kids, you get paid a certain amount of money by the state. If you have two kids, a certain amount of money. If you have one kid, you get a certain amount of money. There's a social credit system already there for repressing women. So because there's no work in Hungary, women are to stay home and have children so they can increase the population of Hungary. As a Hungary spectrum notes, according to Orban, politics is built on continual character assassination. And women can't endure this character assassination. So women can't be in politics. And they have to be home. 
Their, their role is, 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 is give children to the nation, just like Hitler. Hitler will here the same thing in the United, in the same thing in the United States, right? among the Christian identity movements or fascist movements. The role of the you know woman should be at home with the sick women, et cetera, et cetera. He's taken apart his entire security apparatus in the country, and he's made it his own security apparatus, much like Trump tried to do, and much like what will be done if Trump tries to get back in office or does get back in office. Uh, his whole notion is defense of the Christian West, and my country exists to defend the Christian West, and there are all our ideas are in a Christian nation, and I'm its defender, and I'm the Christian nation of Hungary, and there are no opposition groups, and there's nationhood, and that's the way it is. Roma, Jews, atheists, socialists, avant-garde artists are not counted as an integral part and body of the people. So they really have no rights in, that, in my, my country. And um, you may criticize me for the way I treat Roma people, but you, you haven't done anything to me for it. You haven't done anything for me to, for what Danny's just explained on radio. And I've gotten all the Hungarian Catholic bishops publicly to call for people to pray for me at their masses. And they do. The Catholic bishops pray for Orban in their masses, much like they prayed for Trump in the masses in the United States. And and, and Fidesz isn't even the, the most radical party. The most radical party in, in, in Hungary is the Jobbik party. But they, they're ahead of the Jobbik party. They're, they're, they're more of a Christian West party. Jobbiks are kind of old-time fascists. And the mother's position is the center of the Hungarian national identity. The mythification of the mother. Women are paid to get pregnant in Hungary right now. So if you get pregnant in Hungary, that's great. Have another child, give you more money. The more you have, the more you pay. As a weak woman with love and respect for her nation, her only importance, importance in the Hungarian sphere was her maternal patriotism. So all over now, everywhere you go from welfare offices to train stations, you'll see all these kinds of things. He's, he's, this is the Gramscians. This is the cultural hegemony that's now taking over the nation. It's making it now culturally normal that this should happen. Okay. Um, well, uh, the monarchy is being reinvented under the notion of maternal patriotism for women in the 20th century. And, uh, and, and new old mythological pasts are being rebuilt amongst the woman's role in, in Hungarian society. Um, uh, of course, abortion is totally illegal, and, and sentiments are totally illegal. You can't talk about anything about that. LGBT, I mentioned, uh, Eurocentric feminism implies that women throughout the world face the same challenge. Orban says, in Hungary, we have, we have different challenges. We're different than any women anywhere in the world. So you have Hungarian exceptionalism, very much the United States exception. And um, and I mentioned Roma. On science, and so uh, uh, many uh, cases that were brought against Orban don't exist anymore. They do have a Hungarian civil civil liberties union, but they're not allowed to do very much. Attacks on the homeless have gone way, way up, as they have in the United States. And whenever there's public dissent, the government finds a solution to a social problem. Fidesz will pick, you know, somebody to push the punishment on. So the homelessness, discrimination against the homeless is incredible. Right. In 2018, two-thirds of the majority of the parliament banned homelessness in the whole country. Well, if you're homeless, you're illegal. We're seeing the same thing in the U.S. 
Czech and the right to assemble. And in Hungary, if you want to assemble for an event, you have to notify in theory, get permission in practice. So you have to go to officials, certain law enforcement officials that are controlled by Orban or Orban officials, and you have to fill out voluminous forms and what the event's about. You'll never get you if it's a bad desk. Anything negative to say about anything that Orban's doing, of course, you don't even bother to go. If you have the event without a permit, you go to prison. Might be there for five years. Nobody will report on it because nobody reports on it. Uh, they have a bill list. They have lists of already beginning of people like the Phoenix program. Uh, very much is the same as happening in the United States, which I chronicled in an article I wrote some year ago. Um, but the police can ban any protest in, in, in Hungary. They can, so there's no permits, no such thing as a permit. It's just, you don't want, we don't, we don't like, you're not getting you know, no marches. You, if you block a, block a major traffic route in Hungary or a bridge, at least over to the capital, they'll go to jail. I exposed a similar bill in Project Center and got a reward for it, but nobody published that. But we have a similar bill in the United States. It's just something um, So demonstrations, almost impossible to organize against robots. So how can you organize a demonstration? Maybe you don't have the right to assemble and you don't have the right to free speech. And the police are even authorized to make politically biased assessments when they arrest you. And due to the, they're never let off. They're always let, let off. You get, I want to just mention that all this was accomplished without one bullet being shot. Not one bullet. No violent revolution. No dictatorship like Pinochet. Nothing. This is what's called gradualism, fascism, gradualism, gradualism. Okay. And so the centralized police force is under the control of Orban. So he passed the fundamental law of Hungary now, which is basically a constitution of who we can rest and who we can't, and what protests you can rest. Is this is a traditional values myth that accompanies all fascisms? Orban's is the myth of ethnocentric, theocratic eth fascism, or what we can call clero fascism. And it's the same myth that you see being embraced in the United States today uh, that David Barton writes about for the CNP, this is all this kind of stuff. And, it, and this is what Hungary has done now. See, Hungary started this and US patterned Trump on it. That's what people have to understand. Hungary started this in 2007, way before 2006, basically. The pattern basically Trump office. So clero-fascism is the role. It's the role of the states, the role of everything. The new constitution also accepts conservative Christian social doctrine and state policy. And that's in a country where only 21% of the population attends any religious service at all. So you got 79% of the people that don't go to any religious service, but they have to follow Christian doctrine and state policy. If they don't, they go to prison. So you can imagine what this young person I had mentioned that they that I knew with this Hungarian couple, she's 24, 25 years old. I mean, she's just, she wants out. Where's she gonna go? She wants out, there's nothing there for her. She, she wants out, she, she, she doesn't wanna go. The fetus is protected from the moment of conception in Hungary. Marriage is only legal between a man and a woman. Christianity is the only thing that's recognized to preserve nationhood or familyhood. 
And so these state-recognized churches, uh, they were there were 348 uh, state uh, non-state recognized churches. They got rid of them. Now they're down to 14 state recognized churches. They got rid of 348 other churches that wouldn't go along with their fascism. And that was back in 2011. So they dismantled the Constitution, they dismantled the church. And uh, that's why you see Bannon do in the LGBT thing. And that's why you see Bannon do what he does uh, with the uh, Vatican. And they're after the Pope. They want Cardinal Burke. And they want to uh, make a template of the Vatican exactly like the hero fascism in Hungary and then spread that through an intermarian to capture the whole, the whole mother world. <laughs> it's a grand phenomenon. It's an incredible plan. It's an incredible day to be alive to actually see it practiced. Here's one last example I'll see, give you for what's going on. You can do it. Here's an example in Hungary now that the, the enabler, the great enabler can do whatever he wants. Constitution creates a national budget council with the, with the power to veto any future budget that adds to the national debt, which any foreseeable budget would do. So you can't add anything to the debt, Orban says. And the members of the budget council have been chosen by the government. They're there for six to 12 years. And they can only be replaced if two thirds of the parliament can agree on new candidates, but there's no parliament. Another part of the Constitution requires that the Parliament pass a budget by the 31st of each year. But there's no Parliament. And if the Parliament fails to do so, the President of the country can dissolve the Parliament and call new elections. Well, the Parliament's been dissolved. There's no need to call new elections. He just won the election. He's got four more years. So a new government can pass a budget, now into Orban, and that budget can be vetoed by Orban loyalists. So the budget deadline is missed. And then the budget president, which is if it is, can call new elections because they missed the November deadline. So everything's been just set up in such a way that you're just tripping and falling all over yourself to you get anything done. And it's, that's the dictatorship that Hungary exists on. What's going to happen in the United States, Stephen, in 2022 or 2024? I mean, my God, I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at Hungary and I see in this thing and I'm looking at the United States and I'm going, oh my God. And then I see them traveling back and forth and Michael Flynn and, you know, they're all connected, Bolsonaro and, and Storges, the woman I mentioned before, the, 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 old, the oligarchy from Hungary and, the, and they're all connected all over the world now together, putting together a new global world order. Uh, they're definitely against the European Union. I mean, that is a definitive thing. Hungary maintains its its membership in the European Union only because 4% of its income comes from the European Union, number one. And number two, it can get away with murder in the European Union. It can, it can, it can, it can hold back things. It can make things go ahead in the interest of its true um, uh, 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 European Union that is building with the intermarian. So, so there's, uh, the, inter the, the European Union is looking like it's on shakier and shakier ground each day. And you had mentioned Germany. And though the AFD lost in the last elections in Germany, which happened, I think, about oh, like six months ago. My, my, my head is old, so my time. But it's recently, in last year, Germany, the AFD, which is the fascist party, although they lost in large cities, they maintained their uh, leadership in the outside rural areas very similar to Hungary maintaining their leadership 
in the outside rural areas. The difference, of course, Hungary has leadership in these cities as well. Um, but the uh, it's the red state phenomena. You know, it's very similar to the red state phenomena. Poland, the same thing. You know, you get these towns, cities that develop under capitalism for three, four hundred years and these divisions between towns and cities, you know, to use the public library in New York or, you know, or, or say in Detroit, if I live, you know, in the suburbs or in the rural area, I got to take four buses or, you know, pay five dollars to fill up my car. I mean, the divisions between town and cities are so striking in so many of these areas. That there really is a consciousness gap. Not saying one is better than the other. Not putting a value judgment on one or the other, because I don't. I, I don't agree with either of the fascisms that I see developing either in the United States or, or, or globally. But okay, the nation state will, will be a managerial uh, a desk a desk for the global technocratic fascist state is my judgment. But that's another issue. But anyway, in terms of Ukraine, the first casualty of war is the truth, Stephen. I don't know who said that, but that I think might have been Stephen Crane. But uh, the first casualty of war is, is the truth, and there can be no better said than, than in, in Ukraine. Um, uh, very interesting that Ukraine has set up uh, an institute for historical memory. It's called the Institute for Historical Memory. It was set up uh, some years ago. Uh, I first heard of it through Dave Emery, an uh, anti fascist researcher I listened to quite a bit. Uh, some years ago and started to follow it. And it basically, uh, since the Maidan coup and the Azov Battalion and the C-14 and the uh, Reich Party and all the other fascists have taken control of Ukraine. Um, by the way, you know, the C-14 is the police department on the ground in Ukraine right now. And the 14 re refers to the 14 words that David Lane said uh, uh, when he was on trial uh, for killing a, a Berg. Uh, the radio talk show host. So you can see the crossovers. The other thing interesting about Hungary is that Hungary has been training, and so has Ukraine, has been training United States fascists for decades. And like I say, uh, David Duke, uh, you know, he picked up a great deal of the vote in Louisiana in the 90s. He left and he went to Ukraine and he got his doctorate from MAUP University there, which is a joke university. Um, so Ukraine has been a long standing in, in Hungary in 2006, there's the bridges that uh, connect Budapest, Budapest, that's why it's called Budapest, and the beautiful bridges that were built in the 1200s, gorgeous bridges. Time in the hills in Hungary in 2006, where there was a very large contingent of fascists from many, many different parts of the world, but specifically from parts of the United States, and they would travel to and from Hungary to the Ukraine for fascist training. And that's why some of the vocabulary of the um, Metzler fascists, for example, in the United States, Tom Metzler, um, have, have seeped into the Ukrainian vocabulary like C-14 um, because uh, uh, they are so close in their relationship, so many fascist training. So the first casualty of war is truth and no place better than the... Uh, and Ukraine, you know, where the 82nd Airborne Division has been set up in Eastern Europe, uh, God knows for God knows for what. Okay, I don't know the amount of money, Stephen, uh, that we've uh, given Ukraine at this point. Uh, 
that's 5.7 billion, and I think it was another 800 million the other day. Or but we just uh, build back better in better in, in, in Ukraine all the time. What's happening in Ukraine? We had a show about Ukraine. A number of things are happening in Ukraine. There's a couple of points to point out, though. I think uh, is that when we talk about military spending in, in Ukraine and things like that, the U.S. military spending is more than that compared to the rest of the world. And there are more U.S. military installations around the globe compared to the other nations by 800. And the U.S. invasions in Kusin's World War II compared to other countries are far greater than anything. And U.S. relations with Russia and the involvement in Ukraine are very important. All those four points are very important parts to look at when looking at Ukraine. Uh, the United States, I think, is up to 841 billion in its budget right now. Anyway, Ukraine is a proxy war. Well, let's ask ourselves a question: Why does the ruling class want war? A monthly review asked that question of a leftist review on the May 22nd, May 19th of this year. Why is Biden so aggressive? Is there any way to curb the ass? And the article comes to three conclusions. And I think they're very important to consider when understanding Ukraine and understanding Russia and understanding everything we're talking about. These are the three conclusions that have come that have been come to by a publication called Monthly Review, which was started in 1949. And the first essay that appeared in its first edition was written by Albert Einstein. And the essay was called Why Socialism? So the publication has been around for 60, 73 years. It's a very, very well-known publication amongst the CFR and the CNP and well, and it's very, very well-known. It's an economic, uh, Marxist economic publication. Very, very well-known, very, very well-known. And the article that they come to three days ago, they come to the conclusion that Biden's acting the way that he's acting for three reasons. One, um, to satisfy the growth of military industrial complex. The second is to unite the foreign policy elite group that used to compete, compete against each other. I don't know if you've noticed this, and I know you're a student enough, so I know you have. Have you noticed that the Liberal Party is now the Republican Party and the Republican Party is now the Liberal Party? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, it, it, at least at least in rhetoric, I say that. Of course, there's, there's major difference, but I say that because what has happened is that the 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 the, the policy elite groups like the CFR and the CNP have found it in their best interest to hook up with the liberal hawks, with the Bush uh, neocons, and they've jumped ship and they've left the Republican Party. They've left the Republican Party to the ethno-nationalists, and they've jumped over to the Democratic. So this article comes to the conclusion that one of the reasons that Biden administration is doing what they're doing in Ukraine and in the world with war and spending so much money on war is because they have to satisfy two foreign elite groups that used to compete against each other, the liberal hawks and the neoconservatives. Okay, the neoconservatives come from your, 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 your Senator Jackson, what's, what's his name, Scoop Jackson, right? Pearls. Wolfowitz and those types of people. The others are your Kissingers. And um, they merged strategically and they uh, formed the most important foreign policy consensus since 1948. They know the Bretton Woods 
um, game is over. And they're smart enough to know that they better be nice. And, and, and again, it's a class struggle. So, you know, they're the ruling class and they're very well organized. And the working class, unfortunately, is not organized. And that's why they're able to do this. But they're, they're, they understand their they're, 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 they're long-term interests. And they're, they're the big bourgeoisie in the United States and the world. They're the hedge funds, uh, the trillions, people who run trillion dollar hedge funds. And they reach a consensus that China is a strategic rival and established solid support for its foreign policy. And third, due to the design of the US Constitution, the expansion of far right forces and the sheer monetization of elections, the so-called democratic institutions of checks and balances are completely incapable of restraining belligerent policy spending. Policy spending. What I'm trying to say is that it's it's out of hand now. It's so it's gotten so far out of hand that it can't be controlled by either party. But both parties have a different interest. There's no doubt the Biden party is more of a globalist party with more of a technocratic, we might call a multicultural fascist. Whereas the Republican Party is more of an ethno-fascist kind of Trump. But the foreign policy elite groups and liberal hawks and neoconservatives have jumped ship, and they're now in the Democratic Party. And that's why they supported Hillary Clinton. And that's why the Democratic Party, and that's why they're, and it, their, their grand attempt, of course, is to take power in 2024. Um, but Ukraine is a proxy war, and I think it's a long one for the reasons that monthly review expounds on, the three reasons, especially the military industrial complex money that's holding up the stock market. I mean, can you imagine if you took the drug money and the, um, and the military money out of the, of the trillions in the world, what we'd have left? Well, did you uh, want to get into some of the developments in Poland? Yeah, Poland's another interesting one. In terms of Poland, Poland is very, pretty much very easy to understand. A country that emerged uh, after the Soviet Union fell. Uh, uh, a pretty educated class of workers. Uh, the big laugh about the Polish uh, plumbers coming to the uh, to England. I, rem I, I remember when the immigration uh, from Poland. Let's remember what happened. I mean, uh, after World War II. After World War II, we had a Cold War, and that Cold War was won by the United States. Or was it won by the United States? Let's put it this way: it was lost by the Soviet Union. Okay, it's still in the making. The United States is just, I don't think they won. I don't think we've won anything. But anyway, the bottom line is the Soviet Union fell in 1992. So what, what are these satellite countries in the Balkans, Poland, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Slovenia? What in the hell are they going to do? I mean, they've been bustered by, by Soviet money. The Soviet Union basically did what we do in the United States. They print money and they send it out. Pallets to these countries, these countries afloat and part of their empire. And this Yugoslavia did the same thing. And so in Poland right now, Poland is being used as part of the Intermarian. Well, here, let's do it this way. There's Ukraine and the Intermarian, or what we can call the Promethean network. So what is Promethean? Prometheanism is or was a political project that was initiated by Josef Pilsudski a statesman of the Second Polish Republic from 1918 to 1935. His aim was to weaken the Russian Empire and its successor states, 
including the Soviet Union, because he started in 1980. The Soviet Union was established in 1970. By supporting nationalist independent movements among the major non-Russian peoples. Now, let me repeat this again, just in parlor. It's 1918, the Soviet Union has just come to power. It's the first class war that has ever happened in the history of the world. The, there's a, a new country, and now they, they want to pick up countries near them. And this fellow, Joseph Josinsky, who's a Polish, he's Polish, right there near Russia. He says, no, not, not me. So from 1918, he starts Prometheus. That's the aim is to weaken the Russian Empire and to organize the satellite states to get independence from the Soviet Union. Well, but is that the real, real issue? Or is the real issue recruiting Nazis? After the Russian Revolution, the West backed first a military invasion and then the white armies against the Soviet state. And when these efforts failed, the West then backed Polish leader Joseph Pilsudski and Ukrainian nationalists another name that's difficult to pronounce, Intermarian and Prometheus Project. So the project wasn't backed initially when it was proposed in the 1918, and it, or leading up to the 1930s. In fact, it died in the 1930s. And then of course we had World War II, so forth and so on. Um, but after World War II, when the new Soviet state became one, that's when people look back at some of these ideas of the intermarian, and especially the Ukrainian nationalist Simon Petalyura, excuse my, in the, the Russia-Polish war, based on concepts of the intermarian and Prometheus project. Okay, so what are they? Well, it's a project that Poland is, is involved in, as well as Hungary, not so much. Hungary is a pro-Russia. Poland is involved in with the United States. It's called the Intermarian, and it's basically a program that looks to break up in Russia, the, the Soviet Union, much as Yugoslavia was broken up, in an attempt to encircle China. Uh, so, for the last ditch effort for Taiwan, which would then, of course, give the NATO of the world. So, initially, when it was proposed as Intermarian, it was never taken up. Um, but uh, after World War II, um, there was starting to be, become an interest in it. Um, the U.S. has been pouring weapons into Eastern Europe, you know, backed by an aggressive program of military, military training and military exercises for decades and decades, especially since the end of post-World War II. And then we've developed these aggressive systems of bilateral military agreements between U.S. and Eastern Europe and threatened to pull the Western Europe into a conflict with Russia and all this under Article 5 of NATO Charter, which is what we're dealing with today in Ukraine. The war is based on Russia violating Article 5 of the NATO Charter, which was a bilateral peace agreement entered into by the United States and Russia. So the geopolitical concept of the intermarian basically for the United States is very different. The US says, you know, we need a and intermarian too, but we need a different type of intermarian. We, 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 we need an intermarian uh, that would go from the Baltic Sea to the Black Sea to the Asian Sea 
and also reserves an alternative power block between not just Germany, I mean, not just Russia, but also Germany. See, Germany is very powerful, and the United States is very scared of Germany, just the way Britain was uh, back before World War I. Many of the things we see now have a lot to do with World War I. But uh, there's no doubt about it. The more you pay attention to it, uh, the more you begin to see the intermarian come up as a concept, and the more you begin to see Stratford, which is a military contractor, and uh, such writers as Friedman write quite a bit about a new intermarian, how we need a new intermarian uh, to, um, to break up Russia. And so Poland is part of that new intermarian. Do you want to get into the uh, the Stratford concept of that now? Yeah, the Stratford, Stratford concept of the new intermarian is basically Brzezinski's concept. It's worth his brand chessboard book. And that's uh, basically the geopolitical prize is Russia. And um, the key player, it's, it's the heartland. You know, the key player in the heartland has always been an imperial fog. It's a long winding road. But you'll see Germany in the, the heartland, it's Russia, China, Iran, a real alliances, rebalancing of the global chessboard, which uh, is basically what uh, Brzezinski uh, uh, predicted. And I think uh, we're, being, we're saying that. It's the uh, ultimate imperial night of the living dead, nightmare. Um, slowly American emissaries frantically screwing around multiple latitudes, trying to keep their satrapized line. You know, it's frantic, it's scurrying. Uh, Poland is stuck in the middle, they have no money. Um, so, so much of this has to do with money. So, there they are. The U.S. wants an access from France, Germany, to assure German anti-Russia and anti-China politics with U.S. imperialism and takeover of Eurasia. That was Brzezinski's intermarian. The other is the axis of fascists from Britain to Central Europe, from the Baltics to Russia. That was in Hopo, the uh, Hitler's. The other intermarian that we see in Latin America, which is the Holy See, which is the most takeovers, like that Christian integralists from doing. But there are many intermarians. Basically, one can think of the intermarian, it's named intermarian because it's, it's between two seas. That's why it's called intermarian. And the fight is over Europe. The fight is over Europe. The fight is over, over the Baltics. And why? Because that's where all the minerals are. And that's where all the minerals that we're going to use need for 5G are. So you got to get all those minerals. Someone's got to get them. And Kaczynski has carried out very similar policies, he's the president of Poland, to, uh, to with Hungary in terms of LGBT, abortion, so very, very strict, uh, very much like the religious right here in the United States. You take the religious right here in the United States, Poland and Hungary, and you lay the three, three of them down, you take a look at them and you'll see that they're all the same in terms of their domestic policies, so their gerrymandering, their elections, their judicial appointments, their court of uh, uh, fucking with the courts, their rewriting constitutions, they're all the same there. Where they, where they, where they differ on, on, on foreign policy issues is because um, like Hungary is, is right in the Baltics, it's got a 
um, uh, a different uh, relationship, for example, to Slovenia, the maybe the United States would, but Hungary is pretty much still in the U.S. pocket, but it's got to play tune to Russia as well, because Orban is taking Russian money, and Norda has all bank, bank account, accounts, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's very, very, very corrupt system, very corrupt system, and very Catholic. There's the importance of Catholicism all over the world, but mainly in Europe and America. This, this is a clero fascism. This is not the this is not the the the, the Protestant uh, uh, that, that came over on the, pil the pilgrims came over in sixteen hundreds to the Americas. The, the Lutheran uh, Protestants escaping the harsh rules of England. No, this is not Protestantism. This is Catholicism. This is all. This is the, the, the city on the hill. Yeah, the clero fascist European Catholic nationalism of traditionalism, integralism, and, um, and a complete uh, different understanding of the, uh, of the Bible. Now, what do you see in terms of like the long-term long sustainability of this project? Do you think, I mean, it has any chance of succeeding or lasting for any extended period of time? That's what one determines the goal is. If the goal is, is as monthly review depicted it, and that is to milk it for all it's worth for the, for the uh, by the way, by the way, the six largest of, of, of military contractors in the world are from the United States. So if the goal is to milk uh, the, six, the six largest in the world. So if the goal is to milk it um, and keep the stock market afloat, I mean, this is, it's, it's, it's a real sticky economic problem for, for capitalism. Capitalism has staked everything since World, the end of World War II on military Keynesianism, you know, which is basically, you know, put a, a Boeing base in every state and, you know, and then have politics surrounding that and then have them pay off the local senator and congressman and, and Boeing runs Wyoming or whatever, you know, and then, and then you have the appearance of the democracy and so forth and so on. This is it's completely different. This is totally different. So, so if the goal is to keep these companies alive and profitable because the stock market is based on them, which it is, take the military equation out of the stock market and, and, and people are dead low. They're already, most people are already $400 away from the curb. So we got eight people in the United States on half the country. And so with the fuel prices going up, inflation going up, and, and now if you take away the military jobs, and you start taking away the bases, you see we're hooked on this. We're hooked on it like heroin. We got hooked on a form of military Keynesianism, which led us down the road of techno-fascism. And that's where, that's, that could be another show, could be just talk about it now. It's very simple to understand. I mean, you know, as much as Peter Thiel is a fascist and hates Jews and so forth and so on, his interest is in his bottom line, okay? And his, his interest is, 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 is in the bottom line of fascism, capitalism. And that's his interest, you know? So we need to see him in that light. And see Elon Musk running around, fucking with the stock market, up, down, sells one day, up, goes up next day. Should one man have the power to do that? And I that it's the system that allows one man to have the power to do that. If we had a rational, regulated system that was run by working people instead of a few tiny elites, we wouldn't have Elon Musk's, okay? Or we'd be sending billions of dollars to Ukraine to build, to bomb their bridges. We'd be sending billions of dollars to our cities to build our bridges. 
So our priorities have all gotten curtailed under military Keynesianism, which was, which was the way the United States thought that they could contain, maintain a consumer society. And it worked. The 1950s was military Keynesianism. The golden age of capitalism it lasted from 1948 around the Truman Doctrine, okay? Which is why 1940 is so important. And it was, it was when Truman unleashed the dogs, so to speak. And then Eisenhower played golf while they went nuts for a decade. Okay, they unleashed the, the dogs, the Truman Doctrine. It was a golden era of capitalism. We were sucking resources out of Latin America, United Fruit. We were getting all the resources we wanted out of every place we wanted. USSR was giving us everything we needed out of Kazakhstan and those places because we built the USSR. People can go read Anthony Sutton's book and see how the United States financed the Soviet Union exactly in the same way they financed Hitler, exactly for the same purposes. All right. And so when will it end? It'll end. So the second reason Luther just says is that these, 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 these neoconservatives and elites of, are coming together. Yeah, they're centralizing. Everything is centralizing. Centralization of wealth, you see the centralization of power, you see the centralization of people. Okay, of course they're centralizing because they're, they understand that capitalism's losing. It's not working, it doesn't function. And people are getting pissed off and they're scared of it. And they know they can't contain it with the Democratic Party anymore. The Democratic Party has been shown to be what it is. It's not the party of Bernie Sanders, it never will be. And Bernie Sanders has been shown to who he is. He supported the war in Ukraine and he always will. And the Republican Party has shown who they are. So if we don't build another mass party or if we don't do anything else, we could be headed for a nuclear war. I mean, when Putin was asked, you know, what would, what, you know, what would, what would the world be like after a nuclear war? His answer was, what would the world be like without Russia? He's not going to get pushed around. He's not, he's not, he's not playing, not playing. He'll push the button. And Biden's not in control of his cognitive facilities. So, you know, that's all been outsourced to the private military contractors within, within the government, uh, working, you know, exogenous, exogenously and exigenously within the government. Uh, Biden has absolutely no control of what goes on within the country, either domestically or militarily. And the facade of this man coming out each and every day the, is, is more and more portrayed as elder abuse and will end with nothing but a tragic mishap. Uh, AOC and all these, this liberalism that has voted for all, everything uh, that, that Biden has put forth, which has been nothing any different than Trump has put forth. Okay. Stimuluses for the wealthy. I mean, my God, we're in big trouble, real big trouble. We're facing an environmental catastrophe. We're facing a possible nuclear war or at minimum accident. God forbid somebody make elbow hits or something doesn't get stated in time. And we're facing uh, artificial intelligence, which uh, is going to turn us into a surplus population or maybe perhaps make us the pets of the 1% or the 0.00001% will set up a social credit system for us. And uh, 
set up an international uh, uh, history museum for the entire world, which is basically Orwell's um, uh, hole, memory hole, where everything bad that ever happened gets shoved down that hole and a whole new history is created with new pictures from 5G. You can imagine what 5G would be able to do. Create a whole new history as, as original documents. You know, I'm finding now that, a, uh, I think I told you this, an archivist that I know is having a tough time writing book. He can't go to archives. He can't get in because of the virus. So as more and more of the paper, like you said, you're taking pictures, you wanna get in, you wanna take pictures of things. As more and more exists that we have no memory, except the International Mem Memorial Historical Society <laughs> set up by the ruling class to, to tell us about a mythical past that we once lived in. Um, I find it unbelievable. Anything else that you uh, felt like we needed to add here about the developments in Europe with the Intermarian and so forth? I mean, Laszlo Pastor was brought over to the United States, you know, and, and, and given champagne and, and set up the ethnic heritage councils. So we have a group within the United States that is already applauding for war in Ukraine. And that has been ever since Nixon made them the official part of the Republican Party. That's why they're in such a quagmire right now. They don't know if they should be supporting this war in uh, 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 Ukraine because QAnon is telling them that the deep state's doing it. So they're, they're all screwed up. I mean, really, I mean, you talk to, uh, the word conservative is, you just take it out of vocabulary, it doesn't exist. Anymore. You talk to one of these QAnon nuts, they don't know what the hell's going on, whether we should. In fact, in Hungary, Hungary just renamed four streets in its main central Budapest after Chinese leaders. And the people went nuts in Budapest. This happened last year. What the fuck they said are you naming these streets after Chinese people for? And telling us at the same time we need to have Christian values and, and love the state because he needs Chinese money. Right? What else did he do? He made partnership with Islam. He set up Islam cities in Hungary. Now, why would you set up Islam cities in Hungary and not allow Islam people to cross your border? Or he was the first person to close the borders in the world, you know. That's where Trump got the idea. Okay? Because they're hypocrites. They're gangsters. That's what they are. They, they shouldn't be looked at as statesmen or anything else. These people are gangsters, stabby-in-the-back gangsters. Let's just take a look quickly and then we can see if we can wrap up. We have Alan Dulles. We know what, what got this ball rolling after World War II, this whole, this whole anti-Soviet uh, 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 1.0, we're now anti-Soviet 2.0. Wasn't the Russian PSYOP a great four, five years to get people ready for this? Sure seems to me it was. Um, they think Russia is the Soviet Union. They don't even know the difference, most American people. Um, they began to take on their, their, their wartime ally, ally in the early 1940s, is what Dulles planned to take on uh, 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 Russia. You know, all, all along, he never wanted to go to war with, uh, with, with, with Hitler anyway. Radio Free Europe, we now have it being used 
Uh, we talked about our good friend Applebaum. It's being used all over the world, still in existence. By 1949, the U.S. had led the formation of 15-nation military alliance against the USSR. I'm just covering a little bit of history. 16 years later, uh, we had Operation Planning for all land forces, German land and army. Um, so um, the USSR was open even in the 1980s, and um, we agreed we wouldn't expand our military bases, and we found written it wasn't just oral between Gorbachev. We found written evidence okay, of this. And when Clinton did it, was elected, he did it. He started to move it. Uh, NATO passed uh, uh, Germany. And now we're all the way up to where we are today. And now we're in the crisis that we're in. And uh, the latest uh, that uh, we find is that uh, uh, we're sponsoring mercenary armies. Uh, we're paying people. Well, they just arrested three Americans yesterday in Ukraine. Um, the British are involved. You asked about the UK. The UK is our proxy in the proxy war. They're kind of managing what's going on on the ground so that Boris Johnson uh, domestic policies don't uh, come back to haunt him because Corbyn is peering around the corner. Um, we're, we're looking at major, major geographical and economic change within the next three to four years, Stephen. I think that's the best way I, I, I could I could I could say it at this point. All right, I think that's a good note to wrap things up on here. Um, well, this has been the sixth installment here. Uh, or is it seventh? I can't remember what's more. I think it's seventh actually of the uh, international fascism series. Uh, we will be back here uh, with the technocratic one here at some point. Now that we have uh, covered some of the developments in Europe and so forth. And on that note, we will sign off for now. As always, I want to thank you guys for listening. And with that, good night and good luck to you all.